What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 28. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as always, is Ben Fisher. Ben, how's it going? Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me through this terrible, this terrible mic quality? <laughs> no, you're not supposed to say anything. I'm going to edit it in post and you'll sound great. <laughs> no, no, not, not even your editing skills can disguise this. <laughs> I'm, I'm back on my old mic uh, for, for a bit. I'm the temporary. Uh, but uh, happy New Year, everybody. This is a New Year's Day. Yeah, yeah. This episode will be released on New Year's Day. It's gonna be, you know, like here's here's to a new year for sure. Because what the heck, twenty twenty? <laughs> that last one uh, didn't really do it for anybody. Yikes! Um, but that is actually our main topic today. We're gonna be talking all about kind of just a reflection on the year from our perspective. It's been this is kind of like the half year point for us as a podcast. But then we're we're talking more about the year of magic. Uh, from January till now. So strap in for that. It's going to be fun, kind of more discussion-based episode. Uh, but before we get into that, of course, we have to plug our sponsor. MTG Arena Zone is our sponsor, of course, and brings you the show every single week. And MTGA Zone is your top destination for all Magic the Gathering arena articles, decks, news, and more. They have plenty of content for constructed and limited players alike, from top archetypes to theory articles and everything in between. So if you're interested in more written content, check out mtgazone.com. Of course, we also have our Discord. Thanks to everybody who has been, you know, continuously posting in that. Uh, all of our different draft format uh, channels have been really, really cool and getting a lot of attention lately. And we had our holiday mailbag episode last week. If you haven't checked that out, please do. It was a ton of fun to record and we got to communicate with you guys a little bit more on that and, and answer some questions that the community has had uh, for the last month or so at least. Uh, that was a great, great time. And if you want to get into more of that kind of stuff, check out the Discord. The link to the discord is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page and of course the show is also brought to you by you the listener via patreon that's right you can go right to patreon.com forward slash draft pod to check out how you can contribute to the show directly uh, we have i think five tiers over there with various different perks so check that out if you're interested in um contributing to the show or giving back to the show directly unfortunately our well maybe unfortunately i guess it depends on your point of view our <laughs> our last founder tier slot is gone for now but uh we do have a lot of other options so um you know even just the minimum two dollars a month is a huge help to us and keeps us doing this as long as possible <laughs> as as long as we can physically keep doing it right until we run out of ideas uh, which hopefully doesn't happen yeah all right ben we have a crazy so, uh, type thing yeah, let's get into it. So we actually just fired this one together before the show, and this was a sweet draft. This is an Arena Cube draft. Uh, people seem to be on this one. People are still playing Zendikar Rising. I jam one of those every once in a while, but if I feel like drafting, I've been doing the Arena Cube myself. This is a, I mean, this is a start unlike I've I've really seen before. Yeah. So we ultimately kind of went back and forth for a little bit. We first picked Ugin. This is a pack. Yeah, I think this is a pack to pick one here. Um, and in this pack, we have, I guess I'll, I'll mention what we have already picked in our deck. Uh, we have basically looking at sort of on the verge of black, white, black, blue control here. It's kind of looking to be an Esper controly type deck. But like I said, we first picked Ugin and then we picked up a Chromatic Orrery. We have an Atris. We have a Gonti, Chromatic Lantern, Skyclave Apparition, uh, Maze Mind Tome, Ratchet Bomb, a couple of removal spells in black and a Temple of Deceit. Um, and then so our, our pack here is running through... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave our pick for... Well, we'll talk about it, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, so I, I was going to say I was, I was we were going to run through the commons, and I remembered we're doing Arena Cube here, so we don't have <laughs> proper distribution of rarities. There might be one or two. No, no, there's no commons. There's some uncommons in here, though. Yeah, so we have Filigree Familiar, Vastwood Surge, Lightning Axe, Akum Warrior, Night Veil Sprite, Key to the City, Knight of Autumn, Gutter Bones, Body Double, uh, Idol of Endurance, Benelish Marshall, uh, God Eternal Bantu, Teferi Master of Time, Mangara the Diplomat, and Amarius Call. Hmm. So some options here. Uh, if this were like a pack one pick one, I would, well, first of all, I'd be sorely disappointed. Uh, I'd probably be looking at um, the Knight of Autumn uh, or potentially the Benelish Marshall to try to have like a White Weenies thing going on. Uh, Knight is flexible enough, despite being two colors. The decks that are playing it usually don't really care that much. Uh, but I think, actually, if I were to have opened this pack, like first pack anyway, I would have also still taken what we ended up taking, which was the Amarius Call. Uh, there are some other things to discuss here, though. Uh, Mangar the Diplomat is interesting. I found it to be a little slow. Uh, people can play around it because your opponents 
they, they kind of get to decide whether they are triggering his clauses so that you can draw extra cards. Otherwise, it's a four mana two four, and if it just eats a removal spell, then you definitely did not get your mana's worth out of it in a in a cube setting. Mm-hmm. Also, pretty good here, uh, Fiddler Familiar, which we ended up wheeling and taking, um, and Body Double, uh, the one that can enter as a copy of any creature in any graveyard. Uh, that one can be pretty strong, especially with the ability to flicker it as the game progresses and bigger things start hitting the yard. Uh, besides that, there's a lot I don't like in this pack: Key to the City, Akum Warrior, Nightville Sprite. Got Eternal Bond to Idol of Endurance. I think these are all pretty stone cold unplayable. Yeah, a lot of them. We were talking about Bantu in particular is one that, you know, coming out of War of the Spark, I thought was going to be actually like a pretty good card in the cube. And I every time I've played it, I've just felt sad. Like either it gets bounced a bunch of times and I just lost a bunch of permanents for almost nothing or like I'm one for oneing, but my opponents are still doing other things while I'm spending all my, mm-hmm. my whole turn to play a Bantu. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these cards are kind of meh. I could see Gutterbones being okay and if you can get the sack deck together, but we also kind of talked about that before the show where that that's a deck that really needs to get there or it, it just doesn't. Like, it, it's very all or nothing. Yeah, I agree. I think Emeria's Call is the clear pick here. Not only is it a land, uh, it adds an extra spell to your deck while also being a land. It's an MDFC. We all know how great MDFCs are. Easy pick here, I think. Yeah. So that brings us to our Teferi Tybalt section for this episode. Of course, our Teferi Tybalt is where Ben and I kind of go over uh, a highlight and maybe a, a low light, I guess, uh, of, of the week. Just good highs and lows for the, for the last week. Um, so, Ben, why don't you kick us off here? Sure. So my Teferi this week is that I'm off currently, which is cool. Um, I have a, an extra week off from school. My tip, as you might guess, is that school is looming on the horizon, so I have to start doing lesson plans for next week and the week after and the week after, and yeah, I'm, oh, I'm ignoring that for the time being. I will, uh, I will probably do that tomorrow, <laughs> he said confidently, um, but I, I'll enjoy the, uh, the peace and quiet while, while I can. I, I told myself for this week I'm going to do as little things as possible. Just the number of things I do on average, just reduce it to the minimum. <laughs> nice. How's that been going for you? Pretty good. I've gone several days where I just, you know, wake up at 11 <laughs> and do nothing. Sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. Um, oh, yeah. I, my, my Teferi is that I'm also on vacation, uh, very much needed as work kind of ramped up for me quite a bit at the end of the year here. Uh, so it's nice to get a week off and, and just, yeah, try to do my my approximation of as few things as possible. Um, mm-hmm. My Tybalt is that coming back from vacation is going to be pretty hectic, I, I'm imagining. Um yeah, you know, a new application is is getting ready at work to be rolled out to production, uh, and I'm kind of responsible for the infrastructure to make sure that that's accessible by users. So, uh, and that happens like the day I get back. So <laughs> we'll see how that mm. all goes. Uh, hopefully, nice. they've been handling the infra while I've been gone uh, in a nice, nice enough way that that it's not too terribly difficult. Mm. Yeah. So it's a it's an app. Are you allowed to tell us what? You're talking some Flappy Bird or some? Uh... Uh, no, 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 nothing like that. It's uh, it's far more businessy, and it's a web app too, not even a mobile app. So yeah. So if you got that new Flappy Bird, just let me know. <laughs> anyway, we've got a listener question of the week. Uh, Rob dies at the end. asks, "What is your favorite bad archetype in Zendikar Rising?" And then, "What about in Arena Cube?" Huh. This is a good question. Bad archetype in Zendikar Rising. Honestly, I don't really feel like there are that many bad ones. And I've seen a lot of the ones that I thought were bad have started kind of in traditional limited fashion, have started to get kind of decent if you can put them together. Like people yeah. have fixed the puzzle there. Like Red White Party has been one that has popped up as like an actual deck that can do well. And we just had uh, someone in the Discord trophy with a Red White Party deck before we recorded here. So like mm. I maybe that... Um, I honestly, I'm not too sure about Zendikar Rising. I feel like a lot of the archetypes are pretty good. Yeah, as far as bad to take as like maybe not one of the main ones or one of the ones we think about a lot, Blue-Green Wizards is is one of my favorites. Um, that one comes together pretty well if you get uh, some amulets and uh, just start picking all the green wizards too. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I've actually I really liked, Black-White Party. Uh, I've trophied with plenty of Black-White Party decks. Uh, those can go pretty fun. Uh, I mean, my favorite decks in the format are... Uh, clerics and kicker mm-hmm. but i guess kind of the, the the when those don't quite get there they can still be pretty good in a different way sure yeah yeah i, I wasn't really thinking about blue green wizards as a bad archetype so that that was why that wasn't on my <laughs> on the forefront yeah. of mine but that is definitely one of my favorite off-brand archetypes as it were uh, as well yeah 
In cube for me, I think my favorite is actually the uh, black red sack deck. I think it's really really hilarious, and like the veto exquisite blood combo is really oh. cool. I've oh, never yeah. actually I've drafted it. I've never actually pulled it off in game, but uh, you know I I really like that deck, um, even though it's kind of meh compared to a lot of the other stuff. Mm, yeah, I would say my favorite for cube. Sadly, I think the big green deck, like the big five color green, uh, Golos Field of the Dead. Uh, all sorts of nonsense stuff. I think it's worse this time around uh, because it folds to the really good control archetype and the really good aggro archetype. Mm. Uh, this one's trying to go a bit over the top of everything, uh, including control, but the control pieces are so efficient now. There's, uh, I mean, th- there's negates and, and essence scatters and all these good board wipes. Um, I've been finding it pretty hard to uh, to beat some of those, especially with some of the Planeswalker value engines that they have to, you know, eventually close at the game and just one for one year out of out of existence. Mm-hmm. But I will say my favorite deck that I had, uh, I think I only went like three and three with it. It was a uh, four color greed pile. It was like all the usual lower things. I had like a um, like the Dryad, and I had the Goose, and I had everything you need to get like a good green start. Um, actually, both Dryads, Dryad of Elysian Grove, and uh, the other dryad, the one I like, the one three that taps to reveal lands, whatever that thing's called. Green Seeker Dryad, that's it, thanks. Um, I had everything, I had the perfect setup. And then I was playing, uh, I was playing the Scarab God, I was playing uh, Golos, I was playing uh, Cloud Blazer, everything with a big ETB effect that, that was fun. I had um, all sorts of nonsense in there. It, it, was, it was a good time. Uh, like I said, it wasn't very good in execution. I got out aggroed twice and out controlled once. Um, but the decks uh, that I played, the games where I won with it, it was in spectacular fashion. Yeah, I imagine that's what this this deck that I drafted for the Cracker Draft type thing is going to be like. Uh, it, it it seems really awesome. It's like this basically a black white control deck that has Scarab God in it and is just going to yeah. help to win off the backs of Scarab God and or Ugin. Um, mm-hmm. But. I'm worried. the The mono red deck in this format is wild. Like it capitalizes so well off the best of one thing with hand smoothing and stuff, but it's just so good. Yeah, it is. I think. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you'll post the the full list in the Discord mm-hmm. for those that are interesting because we did just draft. It was a pretty sweet draft, but uh, it seems good. I think it has enough early game interaction that it can actually get. You know, it can get to its late game pieces. It has a wrath in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a cry of the carnarium too, and some efficient early game removal spells, and yeah, uh, and most importantly, some ways to gain life too. Uh, also, just you do have a few broken cards, um, like you've got uh, the scarab god, and you've got an ugin in there, and uh, skyclave, and a, too. <laughs> overwhelming splendor. Yeah, I, I think you've got a lot of pieces. All right, so let's get into our main topic here. Magic 2020 reviewed, as it were. Uh, of course, not the, not the core set 2020, but just magic in the year of 2020. Um, so we're kind of going to look take a look back at all of the, well, for lack of a better term, the good, the bad, and the ugly of magic huh. that we got this year. There have been a lot of product releases for magic this year. Uh, there have been a lot of different things on arena there have been a lot of events this year so we're going to kind of just go through and and chat about a lot of the different stuff that happened in magic this year yeah so we're not going to talk about all the uh the smaller ones we're going to talk about main mainly set releases what you could call full sets there's a lot of interesting stuff besides that um i don't know signature spell books and uh uh, secret layers there i've lost (laughs) count of how many of those there are Secret Um, layers this year yeah yeah, how about we spend five minutes reviewing every single secret layer? You got three hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think instead let's uh, let's just start moving through the main releases. So the first one that came out this year, uh, back when we could actually go places and play it in paper, was Theros Beyond Death, which was a good set overall. Um, marred by the presence of a certain Sphinx we all know and love that was printed at rare instead of hyper mythic or <laughs> something else, uh, but. I don't know, I, I found it pretty fun to return to Theros just because that was where I started playing Magic. So uh, it was a nice uh, flavor throwback. Uh, the god cards are all sweet. The enchantments are all sweet. There were a lot of drafts where you would first pick a Hateful Eidolon and then just take every minus aura you could find. That was, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree. This was a fun set, and it was kind of the last set I played before taking a bit of a break from Magic for, for kind of the year, and it wasn't... It wasn't a super long break because, you know, Theros Beyond Death came out in January and we started the podcast in June. So I took a few months off, but 
um, yeah, Beyond Death was the the last set I played prior to that break. It was also the last GP you and I went to, and that was on my birthday, which we've talked about a few times on the show and was an absolute yeah. blast. Um, One of the best. Of, oh, yeah. Big fan of Theros Beyond Death as a limited format overall. I think it was pretty fun. There were a lot of different decks that came together and like worked out of nowhere almost. Uh, like things that, that relied on like Thassa's Oracle and stuff like that. Um, the gods were good, but also not like super oppressive from what I remember. It was mo- mostly Dream Trawler and Kiora Best of Sea God that was really like, <laughs> you know, the, the cards that really grinded people's gears or ground people's gears. But I, I was a fan. I, I would like to see it come back again, and I, I think it was relatively recently, but I didn't draft it, um, and, and just try to get back in and, and jam a couple more drafts in that format. Um, what would you What would you say overall from like a, a format perspective? Where do you have this on your list? Was is this one that you're excited to draft again? Would you never want to see it again? What do you think? I do want to see it again. Uh, I really liked that it was a graveyard set as well. So I, I think the way Escape played out was a really nice limited mechanic. It was a mm-hmm. little different than we've seen before with some of the other... Uh, I mean, th- there's only so many zones to, to interact with, right? Um, so the, the fact that this one still felt different and that there was a significant cost with escaping creatures, uh, you couldn't just put every single Escape card in your deck because some of them were a little under, uh, a little overcosted on their front end so that their Escape cost was better. and that It, it was interesting. Um, overall, I decided to give this one... Uh, for Blight Breath Catablepus, is that how you say it? Did I get it right finally? I think so. For Blight Breath Catablepuses, Catablepi, <laughs> or is it Catoblepus? I, I don't have know. No idea. Four out of five Blight Breaths. Nice <laughs> overall yeah, rating. I, I agree with that rating. I think it was a really solid set, and uh, from a limited perspective, it, it did a lot. We're not going to get into constructed too much. It definitely set loose some things in constructed uh, with with Uro and and whatnot, but. Um, you know. All right, hold on, hold on. I I don't. This is a limited uh, podcast, but I don't actually think Uro is that bad at constructed. I play four scavenging use in a few of my constructed decks right now. In historic, I love when my opponents play Uro yeah. because uh, that means that the Scooze just gets to to snack. Yeah, I mean it has answers. I think it's just too oppressive to a majority of the field. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, that's that's neither here here nor there. The limited format was fantastic. Yep. For sure. Next up, we've got Ikoria Lair Behemoths. So this is when you were on a bit of a break. Uh, but I, I drafted a lot of this. Um, another overall great set with a few problems, mainly coming from Arena. Uh, this was kind of during when the pandemic was starting. Um, I think a little bit into it. So people didn't really get to experience this one in paper too much. Uh, that meant that the problems with Arena were kind of exacerbated. So the bots were underdrafting the red-white cycling deck. Right. And to the I- point which... Ikoria came out uh, the, before before human drafting, right? Yes. Yeah, it was like right before, I think, if I remember correctly. So the problem here was that you would have to uh, face these bots every single time you drafted, and they would be just setting you up for these ridiculous red-white cycling decks to the point where it was often correct to take a uh, black card that had like cycling for one colorless over whatever interesting say, blue-green mythic or bomb or, or multicolored thing was in the set. So that the five legendary uh, like beasts, uh, the mutate cards, those were virtually unplayable when the uh, Zenith Flare deck was at its prime. Yeah. Which that, was kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of take away the entire format, right? You have one deck that you know you can draft, and so you're not really learning other other archetypes. You're not really learning how people would draft the set. And I think part of that is you know, their decision to print cards with cycling colorless, like one colorless on them. Uh, if they if they had made all of the co- like uh, uh, cycling costs actually cost a color, I think that would have eliminated a lot of that mm-hmm. because that, that deck wouldn't really come together. But all you needed was a Zenith Flare or two because it's an uncommon and the bots would pass them and yep. and every cycling card you saw and you would just win. That was that was pretty much it. Yeah, it was kind of a a rock paper scissors with your opponent. Like, did you draft more cycling cards or did I? Did you get two Zenith flares versus my one? Because uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> if so, then you'll win. Um, or did I draft two Zenith flares? And this is gonna be a pretty easy trophy. Besides that, once that was corrected with human drafts and the bots got fixed a bit for for other ones, uh, it was a great format. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting things you can do. Mutate was a lot of fun. The humans deck is one of my favorite limited decks we've had in in recent memory. Uh, it just really gets there. 
maybe Zenith Flare should have been a rare because even even now it still feels a little bit oppressive. But I don't know. It's not that bad uh, if you're pressuring your opponent properly and, and doing the things. Then it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, yeah. But tons of cool archetypes. Um, I, I'm still not entirely sure how mutate works, <laughs> but. <laughs> Like if you if you like there's there's a lot of weird zone shenanigans that mutate that uh, I frankly don't have the brain power to to think through. I, I deal with them as they come up. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, like I said, the zenith flare issue was actually not a zenith flare issue in my opinion. I think it really came down to them printing cycling one colorless. But if they'd fixed that, I think mm. you would have had a much better time with with the zenith flare at decks as as a whole. Um, yeah, mutates wild. I agree. We were just playing some EDH. Uh, about a week yeah. ago now and maybe a little longer than that i can't quite remember but uh one of one of the people in our play group plays a mutate deck and we the whole table had questions about one uh like the way certain things interacted so i i think that's going to be happening for quite a while or at least until uh ikoria rotates that's true yeah <laughs> oh that's right one of them was overwhelming splendor how that impacts mutate oh, right. <laughs> that uh, was that uh, of course did not have any search results on the internet <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe someday uh, anyway, I'm going to, again, give Ikori, even considering the problems that it had, four out of five Zenith Flares. I think it was a, a pretty great set overall, and it shouldn't be marred by the, uh, well, maybe I could say that this one kind of goes against the Arena client itself, but well, I think we all have some problems with that. That's true, though, because cause once uh, human drafting was inter- inter- introduced and people kind of got wise to the Zenith Flare decks, it kind of fixed itself, just like Limited is one to do. Exactly. So next up was M21. Next up- we can cut that. Oh, do that again. Yeah. You can take Go it. Go for it. All right. So next up was M21. This set released kind of in the summer, if I recall correctly. That was like right around Ju- July, I think, the end of June, something like that. Um, set was fun-ish for a few drafts, like, you know, a couple of drafts, four or five drafts maybe. But it very quickly became the who drafted the better aggro deck format. And again, this was exacerbated as well by Arena's best of one leniency or like leaning towards the best of one uh formats but it was fun for a little while yeah the, the the white green and white red decks got a little too aggressive uh for my taste so you couldn't really play anything else or you were just gonna lose um and and it really came down to similar to the zenith flare problem it came down to did you draft the better like did you draft more two drops than me and if so you're probably gonna win mm. um it wasn't like Amonkhet necessarily in that like you just couldn't block but you really needed early creatures even if you were trying not to be aggressive you needed blockers early and they needed to be good enough to survive yeah interestingly enough this set brought back playable one drops we've kind of been seeing this tendency recently and at this point um there were t- like playable one drops in other sets but they're usually uncommon or maybe even rare this set had a bunch of playable one drops uh, at common which was pretty unique uh, anointed chorister uh is that it is still one of my all-time favorite limited cards that thing was a blast to play uh but even then when you start working up the curve with drowsing tyrandon uh Bastard's acolyte we see some really pushed cards here uh all in the very aggressive direction so personally when they print a seven mana six six fire breathing dragon in a set and it ends up being unplayable pretty bummed about that like there was the black uh blue reanimator deck which was very unique uh however that one sometimes just got out aggroed Mm -hmm. yeah you pretty much needed you needed to be in greenway and a lot of times you could get there for quite a while i think it took people a long time to actually catch on to how good the green white deck was uh and, and and part of that was like podcasts like lords of limited and them really starting to preach the uh the green white deck as a whole but mm-hmm. it, it, yeah it really invalidated a bunch of archetypes and it kind of made it you know you're kind of just sad if you got out of a draft and weren't in the in the green white seat and couldn't couldn't get your deck together because don't get me wrong people trophied with non-green white decks but it was it was an uphill battle for sure yeah uh i just didn't really like that there were clearly several other archetypes meant to exist that kind of got invalidated by the more aggressive strategies there, there were some that were fine and you could win with them but um the aggression was just a little strong here for, for my taste. Uh, I, I'm giving this one a three out of five beats. Uh, not like the, the vegetable or, or whatever thing is, but like the beat down. Three out of five beats. Yeah. So next up, we've got Zendikar Rising. Now we're back on, on back on track here. This is another hit. Um, I'm still having fun with Zendikar Rising. There's still stuff that I haven't gotten to do in that that I want to do. Um, I've lost count of how many drafts I've, I've played of it. I don't know. Uh, there's plenty of hidden archetypes. 
the rares and mythics are all balanced. The build rounds are fun. There are uh, seemingly infinite directions that you can take these decks. Like uh, Black Red Rogues is one that I want to <laughs> get more practice with. Every once in a while that comes together and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and there's ways to go way over the top. And that, that just like checks all the boxes that I look for in a great limited format. Um, I think Ruin Crab is annoying. <laughs> but and i'd enjoy the set more if it didn't exist or if it milled two or it, uh i don't know um do you think it needed besides that uh, i don't know uncommon does feel like the place for that uh, especially historically and i see why it had to mill three because of uh hedron crab i don't know it's just a little meh no one likes getting milled especially when uh, uh sometimes game plans were invalidated by this but it's just a reminder to draft removal that can kill a zero three or two, <laughs> whatever this one is. Well, it did earn a draft shaft hero title, so you know I think it we did. have to give it yeah. we have to give it some respect. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm the mill guy, right? I love milling people, but yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes it was just a little much, and especially if your opponent could get more than one together. Like there are a couple of drafts that I've just like tanked where my opponent was like turn one ruin crab go turn to land ruin crab or ruin crab land go and it's just like okay all right all right i'm done here yep and sometimes it's just tilting right and and while that it is a valid gameplay strategy i think reducing the net amount of tilt in the game is probably for the best uh plus like what do you learn by winning with a winning with a ruin crab it's almost akin to like a bane slayer right it's like oh i put it in my deck i'm gonna win the game with it every once in a while uh yeah it, it doesn't take much building around you're putting lands in your deck anyway uh, it is a fantastic card, and like we mentioned, it, it wasn't always at its best. Put it in a blue-white deck, it's pretty much useless. Uh, occasionally, it just serves as a lightning rod, but still good enough that it would just spike games off of people. That uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's I think a feel bad. Uh, I'm I'm for less feel bads in the game, but I do see why it was there. There was the mill strategy. Rogues was doing it anyway, and it does feel sweet to mill people out every once in a while. Uh, eh, I don't know. It's it's beatable. But um, it's annoying. It's it, I think this kind of keeps it from being a perfect perfect grade for me. Sure. Um, I, I did love the red white equipment deck, of course. And of Akiri course. Uh, Akiri is my my probably one of my favorite cards in this set. I'm gonna go ahead and give Zendikar Rising 4.5 Akiris out of five. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great format. It really was, and especially coming off the tail of of M21, seeing. A, a format where we had one-ish archetype, right? We had like one and a half archetypes that were really viable in M21. And then in Zendikar Rising, you have, I don't even know how many. There are so many. And there are hidden archetypes that really weren't apparent until we got into it, like blue-green wizards and black-red rogues, like you mentioned. There are a lot of... And hmm. I think part of that is is party and the way that they designed the set to have all these party synergies, but then also synergies for, indivi- for the individual uh, creature types as well just such a great idea and they 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 executed it perfectly um everything was balanced the the build arounds were great like you could actually put some weird decks together roost of drakes was really fun as i mean obviously it's a powerful card but you do need to kind of build around it and get the kicker deck together to actually make that work um and there are just there's just a lot of fun stuff to do and like you said i think both of us are you know dozens and dozens of drafts into if not hundreds of drafts into into Zendikar Rising, and we're still finding yeah. stuff to do and and enjoy with the format. So this probably goes down in my top, definitely in my top ten. I'm not sure if it's in my top five just yet. I really need to sit down and write out my my favorite draft formats, but I think I think it's up there. It, it's a really good format. Yeah, I'd agree. So that that was all of the main set releases for 2020. We had. Theros, Ikoria, M21, and Zendikar Rising. But of course, we also had a bunch of Arena exclusive sets come out this year. So we're going to kind of highlight some of those and then talk about some of the other stuff as well. Uh, first up, Amonkhet Remastered. Amonkhet Remastered was the first like real set we got to do like a spoiler for and all that kind of stuff um, and have like a ton of fun figuring out how we were going to handle those types of episodes. I think we got to do one for M21 too, but um, Amakari Remastered was really fun because it was a, it was pulling back to an old set that both of us were familiar with. Uh, I think they they really did a good job of matching the two sets together. It was kind of a, a toss-up between a lot of folks in the community of whether it was going to be like Amonkhet because Amonkhet was the no-block format or if it was going to be more like Hour of Devastation, which was very combo kind of mid-rangey grind fest. Um, and mm-hmm. it turned out to be kind of closer to Amonkhet than than our, but it was still a decent hybrid of the two, I think. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I think it was fun. I would have preferred if it was a little slower of a format. Um, River Hoopoo was not playable. That was very, very sad. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely tried. I definitely tried. Uh, and there were sometimes you could get there with the slower things, but uh, kind of like M21, the aggression was where you wanted to be. Uh, but it was still a fun walk down down uh, Magic Memory Lane, although not everything was in there. Bounty the Luxa didn't make it in. That was one of my favorite sure. cards in the last one. Um, now, it, it was still a fun place to to do some stuff and seeing some of the old mechanics come back as well as shaking up uh historic it was very interesting mm-hmm. putting some new cards into the set uh i mean maybe if we were not in the pandemic we wouldn't even be talking about these arena exclusives but given that everyone is playing on an arena right now this is uh kind of what we're, what we're stuck with what we're dealing with so uh, the fact that kind of the new modern i dare say uh, of historic got a shake up from it is is pretty cool yeah i think that's a fair uh, analogy or, or correlation there historic has been a lot of fun too and I, I think a lot of people at first were pretty upset about historic as a format because of the way they handled the launch with it and removing certain sets at launch mm-hmm. uh so it felt like historic was going to be standard plus for a little while and and it kind of was but now it really feels like its own format and it's uh it's been a lot of fun to play similar to the way modern feels in comparison to standard in my opinion um but but yeah, Auto yeah. Kit Remastered was a cool little test of that. We were, I think everybody was kind of a little confused to see that that they injected a bunch of weird cards like Wrath of God and some things like that where we weren't really expecting to see them because they weren't they didn't belong to to Amonkhet or our devastation. But I think it actually worked pretty well. And none of them yeah. worked the limited format at all. Like I didn't feel like any of those cards really broke limited. Uh and in fact for constructed, I think they were all just great additions. So Yeah, I was really happy with how it was handled. Um, I will say that I, I'm a big fan of having uh, Ronus in my mono green historic list. I, I play too. Uh, by the way, everyone, if you want an, an easy way to uh, to five o your uh, best of three historic lists, uh, best of three historic leagues, just just hit me up. I, I've got a list for you. Uh, next up, we've got Kaladesh Remastered. This was another arena remaster. Not really any um, uh, different stuff they didn't really add stuff to this one there was one card right um yeah it was just like a, one. an artifact copy yeah the sculpting steel i believe yeah that was it kind of strange that they only put one in uh we were all expecting more but whatever didn't really have a big impact either way this was another fun uh but in my opinion kind of like amonkhet i was happy with these for like 20 drafts or so then i was like all right I, i've kind of got it uh maybe it's because i played them so much before and this one kind of felt like a shadow uh just like amonkhet did as well they weren't quite their old selves. Um, it was kind of strange to see these sets that we knew so well mixed up, but it was still interesting to see how they were changed. Uh, this one, uh, I would say it was a little more fun than Amonkhet in itself. Uh, Kaladesh Remastered, uh, I got to have a lot of fun with the Flicker deck. My One of my all-time favorite decks I've ever drafted was my first draft of Kaladesh Remastered, my red-white Flicker uh, rare pile with just like f- like a handful of mythics and rares and just doing nonsense things. Uh, but... It still felt like it was missing some things. Uh, mainly, I, I miss my Renegade Freighter. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you overall. I think Amonkhet had the, the aggro problem, and we were coming off of M21, which was a very aggressive format. If you weren't around for Amonkhet Remastered, basically the way they released these was M21 was the main set out at the time, and then at the end of the summer they released Amonkhet Remastered, but that was before Zenicar Rising came out. So we, we had the aggro set in M21, and then we had another aggro set in Amonkhet, and it was kind of... I mean, Amonkhet was a bit slower than M21, but not much. And it was kind of, it was like aggro overload, really. Like, it was just too much aggression in, you know, two formats um, too quickly. And I think if we had, if they had been able to release, say, like, Kaladesh first, then do Zendikar Rising, then give us Amonkhet, I think we would have actually liked both of them more. Because Kaladesh was very finicky in that there were a bunch of random weird things you can do with with decks in Kaladesh all the energy themes and servos and thopters and all that kind of stuff and Zendikar Rising is also a very complex set in that there are a lot of decks to put together it's not very complex mechanically but uh, I think if they had ordered those differently we might have enjoyed them more but I, I tend to agree with you I think in general Kaladesh was more fun than Amiket because there's more to do you weren't just attacking all the time there were some weird puzzles you could put together yeah no pun yeah. intended with the, the puzzle knots <laughs> but yeah, ultimately, yeah. I agree. It got old kind of quick. I don't know. I probably did less than a dozen Kaladesh drafts. I think I did a few more Amonkhet drafts than Kaladesh, but overall, it got old pretty quick, and I was just ready to get back to Zendikar, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did just enough to get my fix of uh, Winding Constrictor and Ridge Scale Tusker. 
And once I got that out of my system, then I was good to go. And I will say, uh, I snuck Renegade Freighter into our draft chaff cube. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that. That's hilarious. Well then. Uh, so next up was the next set that come out on Arena was the Arena Cube, actually. And Arena Cube has kind of a special place in our hearts just because it was the first the first episode of Draft Chaff was about Arena Cube. And uh, to see it come back and kind of uh, understand the adjustments with it and stuff was really cool. Uh, I know Ben had a huge, huge, huge win streak with uh, with the first iteration of the cube. Um, and, and they went and added all these good control cards. What was the deal with that, huh? Well, you see, I sent them a letter, and I was like, hey, look, uh, green is green is too good, and my friend likes that, and I, I can't have that. So uh, can you just, like, you know, throw some Sphinx's revs in there, get me some overwhelming splendors, and, you know, let let control have its day? Yeah, see, the problem was in, in the last one, I, I will admit this is a problem. Green was the best color, and uh, green and red, I think red was the second best. Green red was my favorite deck to draft. I had like a like 75% win percentage or something with that. Uh, I made 60k gold in like two weeks off of just like back-to-back trophies. It was so much fun. Uh, I'm most at home playing green, and uh, this was a very good format for green players. People that uh, tended towards other decks and uh, tried other things didn't go so well. Uh, they were slower, that kind of thing. Admittedly, the changes they made were good. Adding more Wraths, uh, adding better control cards, Skyclave Apparition, Elspeth Conqueror's Death, uh, Ulamog, Ugin. All of these make it a bit harder for the aggressive decks to, to enact their game plan. But um, there still are a good mix of strategies here. Uh, we see red and white, the monocolor decks, and occasionally uh, the red-white deck itself, which I don't love that much. Heroic Reinforcements is a nuts card, though. Mm-hmm. I think the monocolored aggro decks are still pretty strong. Green can still ramp. Uh, Blue-white can still control. Black still does its thing of killing stuff. <laughs> it's still a great format, and it's honestly one of my favorite sets of the year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially with the, the new iterations. I know you liked the first one better, but honestly, with all the new sets we've had since the first iteration came out, I would have been disappointed if they hadn't made changes. And like you said, I think it's yeah. a lot more balanced, which is awesome in my opinion, because you can run into all sorts of different random decks and... Um, it's not really a format like kind of like vintage cube. It's not really a format that ever gets old, even though you kind of get used to some of the synergies and the strategies really doesn't mm-hmm. ever get old. So I'm really excited to see uh, how frequently they continue to bring this back. And I know we have it for like only a couple days now, I think, but um, I-, I would like to see more of it, honestly. Yeah. I wish it was up at all times, but uh, as we know, with vintage cube, Sometimes it's good to take a break. If we were allowed this kind of decadence at all times, we might not appreciate it this much. Definitely. Next up, we've got the Tinkerer's Cube. Now, this one, it was still pretty good, but it wasn't really my thing. Uh, I, I played it a few times, but I found the decks in the Tinkerer's Cube to be fairly narrow and the power level relatively unexciting. So if you didn't happen to piece together one of the broken decks, uh, the Black-White Drain uh, and Life Gain one was one that was particularly egregious. Uh, if you didn't happen to piece one of these together... You didn't really have a deck. Uh, it, this is something that could be improved in the future, maybe in, in other iterations of the Tinkerer's Cube. It should be coming back soon. Um, mm-hmm. But, oh, actually, I forgot my rating for the last one. I gave it five out of five Golos activations. <laughs> Arena Cube was great. Uh, Tinkerer's Cube, I'm going to give it a, a two drafts out of five because I only did two drafts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think between the two of us, we did like three or four, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so. just wasn't really for us i mean it was an interesting format but i felt like uh it was one that i i kind of got the hang of or i saw what was happening in it and it wasn't really my thing uh mm. it was narrow uh it almost reminded me of, I, I use this as a good example of like a narrow draft format but ixalan where uh this the archetypes are very very narrow and if you are not in one of those archetypes you're gonna lose to the people that were mm-hmm. same exact thing here uh the synergies were there but if you weren't in them or if you didn't pick up on them or if you got cut uh you could have a bad time and i, I had a few bad times I, I think i i think one of the drafts i did was fine one of them was not then i was happy to just like watch people stream it instead mm-hmm. well that wraps up kind of our other uh, like arena exclusives types uh section there are a few other things that happened this year we've got a couple of other sets that came out and uh notably in paper and then a couple of other things before we wrap up and get to our sign off. So we're going to kind of run through these pretty quick. A few of these we don't really have a whole lot to say about, but the first one that we wanted to mention was the mystery boosters. It was a pretty cool idea that if, if you aren't familiar with mystery boosters, they did this sort of promo sort of set, which was like incredibly large. It was like five or 600 cards, wasn't it? 
Was it yeah, something like that. that. Might have been more. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there were there were a lot of cards in the set, and the idea was you're supposed to it was it was supposed to be draftable, and they had these random uh like playtest cards that had art from the playtest thing, and they had like like as if the the cards that they never actually printed but have had designed uh, were in this pack or these packs, and it was kind of a, a cool like novelty sort of thing. I never actually got to draft any mystery boosters myself. I haven't opened any, but. It was a little weird the way they handled it at first because you could only get your hands on them at GPs, I think. And then eventually it was like, mm. I think it was ported to MTGO too. It, it was kind of a weird, like, how do I actually get my hands on these cards situation? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the uh, the ones available at GPs are like packs and that kind of event. Those are the ones that had the playtest cards, which is what people were, were kind of interested in getting. Uh, but there was this stuff in that. I'm pretty sure there were like mana vaults in these or, or mm-hmm. things like that. Um there was value and there were reprints, but there was also a lot of lot of trash. Um, yeah, I, mean, I opened a cards. few packs of these. Yeah, I opened a few packs of these. I opened like a Kiki Jiggy. Like, there's some cool stuff in these, but uh, you know, it, it was fine. Um, I, I'm gonna give this one uh, a 2.5 out of five Scooby Snacks because this mystery just wasn't really wasn't really getting there for me. Actually, this mm-hmm. one and the next one both suffered. <laughs> These two both suffered from uh, the onslaught of uh, the pandemic because I don't really think they got to see their, their time in the sun. The next one was Double Masters. Uh, this one was another gimmick, uh, another master set, but it came with uh, double the rares, double the foils, double the box toppers, all that fun stuff. I think it actually would have been a lot of fun to draft. I only did one draft of the set, I believe on MTGO. Uh, because it was just, I mean, this is the kind of thing you'd really want to do in paper. I think I opened some uh, some paper packs, but I didn't, I didn't really find it uh, very interesting. I, I, I'm going to give this one uh, an even worse grade, because this one was just, it was just a master set. It had some reprints, uh, but it also had a pretty big selection, so there wasn't as much value in this. Uh, I'm going to go two and a half, two, two stars out of five, uh, or because this is double, I'm going to give this a four out of ten stars. There you go. Uh, the next set that, that came out, and not from a chronological perspective, but the next one on our list here, uh, actually, I think, wasn't quite as impacted from from COVID, even though it was a paper-only release. And that's Commander Legends. And that's because of Spell Table, basically, was, was the saving grace of Commander <laughs> Legends. Uh, yeah. You know, drafting it was not really something people could do outside of MTGO. Uh, I think it was available there, but you you could still like we we ran our sealed league through uh, with Commander Legends, which was a lot of fun. People could build sealed decks, and then we'd play on Spell Table, and I think that that was really fun and a, a great way to handle this set. Um, it was really cool to get a lot of the reprints that are Commander staples that people wanted. Uh, it was also cool to see a lot of the new Commander stuff they handled and actually see how they could design a a draft format because it was really designed as a limited format but also cater to Commander as, as a uh, format as well. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to Commander Legends, honestly, as well as Double Masters and Mystery Boosters, someday when I can do stuff in person. Maybe I'll, I'll pick up some of these and just put them on my shelf and let them gather just for a bit, and then someday have people over. Uh, you'll obviously get an invite to, to try to crack these and, and put them to their intended use. Yeah, But this one was a lot of fun. Um, I, I loved my Jared Carthalian sealed deck so much that I'm still in the process of making an actual Commander deck with him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this one 4.5 out of 5 monarchies. What would have gotten this to a 5? What, what do you think uh, it needed? To be honest, I didn't really find a commander from it that really stuck with me. I like Jared Carthalian a lot, uh, but this is kind of the only one that jumped out at me, and that was only after playing with it. Uh, the rest of them, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, but it just wasn't really for me. Interesting. Yeah, I guess... And that's fine. I guess they could have done a few more unique things. I liked they they brought Mana Burn back with this set. There's a card that... that yeah. Makes mana burn a thing, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and they added cards like Quain, which which are nice from my tastes. But yeah, I agree. They they could have done things that were a bit more unique, I think. And they didn't really take advantage of that. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. And a lot of people love it. Uh, but I don't know. Lisa is pretty great. But like, there's just something like something just felt like it was missing. I don't know what it was, if I what exactly I'm looking for. But um, there, there wasn't really like a, a super me commander, if, if we'd say that. Fetchlands. You were missing Fetchlands. That's what it was. Fetchlands are missing from it. <laughs> Next up, we've got Unsanctioned, uh, a potentially really fun and objectively really funny set. Uh, I, I still love looking at the spoilers. Um, I remember when I first found out that there were these kind of joke sets, I just went and looked at all the old spoilers and just laughed about it. There's some really great stuff in there. Uh, this is humor made clearly by people that love the game for people that, that love it. So uh, 
there's there's some really really fun stuff in there uh slaying mantis is still just one of the funniest things i've ever heard uh you get to throw it onto the table and it just fights whatever it hits let's put that in the cube um (laughs) now uh Again, this one, unfortunately, didn't really get to see the light of day thanks to the pandemic. I don't really know when this this one got released pretty early in the year. I want to say around when it started. I never got to draft this in person like I wanted to. I would have loved to. It'd be a lot of fun. But again, another one to put on the shelf for, for a later day, right? Yeah, one of my greatest Magic-related regrets this year was that I wasn't able to... Because I was taking a break from the game at the time that Unsanctioned came out, I wasn't able to pick up the uh, the Unsanctioned lands on, on Arena. And they're no longer oh. you, know, you can't you can't get them anymore. And I'm really sad because mm. they look amazing. That's the, easily my favorite part about the unsets is how wild and and different they go with the basic lands. Man, such cool land designs for those. And they're just basics, but they are really awesome looking. Yeah, they do look great. Uh, I'm gonna give this one three out of five squirrels, <laughs> just because uh, maybe it it, it it was fine, but really I get to have a very good experience with it. Maybe someday in the future. Agreed. And the last big event that happened this year regarding magic was we started a podcast. Like this is <laughs> this is a thing we do every week and it's been it's been really awesome to to see we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but it's been really awesome to see this community grow and us kind of get more comfortable doing this sort of thing and and talking with folks online and everything. It's been really really cool. Definitely would do it again and honestly probably would have started mm-hmm. a little earlier in the year. Um Yeah. But it, yeah, it's just been wild. I can't believe we we did this. Yeah, uh, we want to thank you, the listener, for for hanging out with us, and we have big plans for the upcoming year. We, we've got some ideas in the mix. Uh, what are you looking forward to in this new year? Well, so so first, before we get into that, what's what's your rating for starting a podcast? Oh, what uh, one million out of five chaff? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, for me, what I'm looking forward to most is honestly just I'm just curious to see where post pandemic leaves mtg as like as a whole like as a game and as a community where does getting out of the pandemic leave us because we've been in this weird sort of state where you know the game is kind of adapted to fit a pandemic and moved a lot of stuff online i'm I'm curious how that shifts it's going to be if it's going to be an easy shift to get back to playing in paper is organized Mm. play going to change because they they changed the way that they handle tournaments quite a bit this year Will Arena ever get high stakes limited events? And will Mayro guest star on our show? I mean, all of these are things that I want to figure out. And um, I think I actually think in, in, in a more serious note, I, I do think we should be I think getting guests on more frequently would be really fun. We haven't really done a whole lot uh, reaching out like from that perspective on our end. We haven't really reached out to too many people to try to get guests on the show. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it would be really fun to get more folks on and just talk a lot of the chaffy nonsense that we like to, to talk about. Uh, and that was a pretty big hit with our community as well. So, you know, if you're interested in more of that, let us know in the Discord. Yeah, and especially who you want to see. Uh, we don't know everyone in the community. There's there's lots of people out there. So if there's people that you like listening to or they've got good thoughts or maybe they want to talk chaff, uh, let us know. Definitely. What about you, Ben? I'm looking forward to, yeah, I'd say just getting back to, to a slight sense of normalcy, whatever that's going to end up looking like. I, I doubt... Uh, I hate the, the phrase new normal. It's kind of dumb, mm-hmm. but uh, whatever that ends up being, um, it will be nice to be able to, like, you know, just interact with people in person again and have people over to like play commander without worrying if it's going to cause you or your family to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ideally, once the vaccines have started coming out, um, things should get a little easier for all of us in that regard. Uh, I will also say one thing I'm looking forward to is playing our cube because our cube oh, looks yes. like so much fun. Yeah. Uh, so many of the cards are just cards that like, we love that we've just infused into here uh it's gonna be great yeah definitely i'm excited to try to get my hands on the whole thing and and foil it out and just like make it look amazing oh yeah uh i think that's gonna be a fun part of this i i I will say there have been some some there's some nonsense that's starting to creep into there uh that i don't know if all is gonna is gonna stay um gold knight castigator (laughs) one of my uh infamous limited uh uh, game winning cards i don't know if that's too good or if it's too bad i i don't know <laughs> so i'm interested to see and and those listening if you're interested in helping us test we're going to need people definitely well, that about does it for us this week hope you enjoyed kind of this year in review for magic i know it's been a tough one for everybody and uh, we really appreciate you spending your time with us every week to just kind of chat magic and chat limited of course if you're interested in literally talking with us uh check out the discord <laughs> nice 
that's that's a great place to do that. We respond pretty frequently, and we're we're pretty we're pretty commonly on there and accessible. So uh, definitely check that out. The link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And once again, if you're interested in giving back to the show directly, you can do so via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. If you want to reach out to us outside of Discord, you can do so via Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Ranagalfridian or Ben at Betafish1. And you can reach the podcast at DraftChaffPod or through email at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. Once again, that's about it for us, and we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your new year. See you, everyone. So, it is January 1st today <laughs> what's your new year's resolution oh gosh i'm so like anti like not actually i'm not a, i'm not actively against new year's resolutions i just think the idea of like waiting until the new year to try to bet, better yourself is just such a stupid thing to do <laughs> okay like, just start Looks like I've, I've cracked open a can of worms here that i did not anticipate <laughs> I just think it's silly that people are like, I have to do this because because let's be honest, nine times out of ten, you, they don't get followed through. Like you just you just <laughs> yeah. say like, oh, I'm going to start working out again. And then, you know, two weeks go by and you're back to your normal stealth. I, I try to make my New Year's resolutions like as soon as I think, hey, I need to better myself. I just try to do it. I don't I don't really wait till New Year's to do these things. That said, um, hmm. my I'm now in my second year of marriage, which is really cool. So I definitely want to see yeah. that go go further and like we had a great first year a lot of people have told us that that the first year is the hardest and if that's the case then i'm very excited for the rest of our marriage because we had a pretty solid first year all things considered and uh you know i think there's a lot of stuff happening this year um just from like a a living perspective we'll be moving at some point this year uh, just due to leases being over and all that so i there's a lot of stuff to look forward to I'm, i'm very excited to see where 2021 goes and where uh, you know, the pandemic leaves us as well. Like, are we actually going to be free of it this year? Are we not? You know, I think it, it lasted mm-hmm. when it when it started. I think a lot of us were like, hey, this will be a couple of weeks and we'll be back to normal. And then, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, all that went well. around and we're like, wait a second. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, a vaccine's coming out. And we're like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what year is this? <laughs> yeah. But, but what about you? What are your New Year's resolutions, if any? Oh, I don't think about it yet. <laughs> well, i've got a I've, I've got a whole 24 hours to come up with one <laughs> there you go yeah the news resolution is to make the podcast great again no i'm just kidding uh, oh, no. make, make it just i mean it would be good it would be good to to see if we can do some marked improvements on the cast but i don't, I don't really know what that entails yet yeah i mean we're already crushing it i don't know what we could do <laughs> <laughs> okay okay